Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, hey, I want to continue our series here at the Vineyard called The Inward Journey. Uh, This entire month we are talking about the inward journey, and this month is a part of a much larger series that is happening over the course of three months. So November is inward journey. Then we're going to take a step out of this series in December. We're going to do Advent stuff, and then in January we're going to come back into it, and rather than being the inward journey, we're going to do outward journey, and then February we're going to do communal journey, okay? And the whole series is about spiritual formation, Uh, If you haven't been with us for the last couple weeks, or maybe you were here and you just didn't hear a word that was said, um, here's what spiritual formation is. Spiritual formation is having uh, our inward being, uh, having our soul, uh, having the essence of who we are, as Paul says in Romans 8, conformed to the image of God's Son. So it's like actually becoming like Jesus. It's becoming the sort of person who's... uh, instincts and whose uh, nature is like the Son of God, Um, becoming the kind of person who is genuinely uh, loving, caring, merciful, forgiving, all of these sort of things. That's what spiritual formation is. And um, I ask this in first service, I'll ask you as well. Uh, Imagine your life, and imagine you're like 80 or 85 years old. Most of us here are going to live to be that old. You know, nobody's guaranteed, but you know, medicine's pretty good these days. You're going to be pretty old one day. And how would you like to be 80, 85, maybe 90 years old? And at the end of your life, you've actually become the kind of person who had love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. How would you like to be that kind of person? Like, okay, right? How many of you have met people who are not that person? Right? Yeah. So the idea of spiritual formation is rooted in this much larger idea that sort of sits behind it, and it's the reality that everybody here is being formed. Uh, The truth is you've already been formed, and you're being formed right now. So who you are, you might even want to take a second here, just think about your life, you know? Here I am on the front row, you know, just me and Bob, we're just chilling here on the front row. Think about your life, right? Uh, Who you are in this moment, in this purple chair has been formed by a zillion decisions that you've made and things that have happened to you. So things that were in your control and things that were out of your control have formed you to be the sort of person that you are right now. And then you kind of think, well, am I happy about that? Maybe I am or maybe I'm not. And then you go, well, is it like Jesus? Well, maybe it is or maybe it isn't. And so you start to wake up to this this idea that, oh my gosh, I am something. uh, And the person that I am has been shaped by all these decisions and all these things that have happened to me. And now I've got maybe, you know, 60, 70, or 50, or 40 years left in my life. And with the time that I have left, what is the chance that I could partner with the Holy Spirit to become someone who is actually like Jesus? You know? You know, the goal of my life is to, at the end, I want to be like a 90-year-old granddaddy, you know? And I want to be laying on my couch at home and I want them to have Kentucky basketball on, and I want them to be around me, and right before I die, I want to have the knowledge in my head that I became a 
good person who was like Jesus, who had genuine fruits of the Spirit in my life, and I didn't become like a resistant, crotchety, unforgiving, bitter, crappy granddaddy. You know what I mean? We've all seen those, right? Yeah. That's the idea. That's what this whole series is about. And in order to become someone who's like that, we've realized that we have to take three journeys. We take an inward journey, we take an outward journey, and then we take a journey together, communal journey. So that's what this is about. In the last couple weeks, we have spent time looking at two parts of an inward journey. And the two parts that we've looked at were uh, the outward journey and... That's awesome. The two parts that we've looked at on the inward journey were the journey of contemplation and meditation, but then also the journey of prayer. And this week, I want to talk to you about a third part of building up the inner journey, and that is uh, fasting. Now, isn't that fun on the week before Thanksgiving? <laughs> isn't that awesome? Yeah. I- I've, been enjoy- I've just been relishing this, this bit of paradox all week long, knowing that before Thanksgiving, I'm going to talk to you guys about fasting. Uh, it's kind of like a, a couple years ago on Mother's Day, uh, I read the text where Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and father, you can have no part of me. I, I, I relished that as well. I was like, that was awesome. You know? <laughs> Similarly, uh, I want to talk to you about fasting this morning as a way to build our inner person. And before I do that, I, I want to reflect back on the image that I gave you at the very beginning of this series. Remember I put that picture of Andy Squire's backyard up for us? Some of you are here, some of you weren't. Okay, for those of you who were not, here's what the picture was. Um, Andy Squire's a friend of ours here at this church. He lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. Anyway, uh, there was a 200-year-old oak tree in his backyard, and a storm came through, and it blew that tree down, and the tree fell on his house. It like went right across their bedroom, you know, destruction. Anyway, uh, it's a perfect metaphor or image for... Uh, your spiritual life. It's really the idea that the day before that tree blew down, it looked like this magnificent, brilliant, grand, strong, you know, just fantastic oak tree, right? On the outside, it looked impeccable. But the truth is, it was hollow, you know? And when when the storm came, it just blew that tree over, and the tree didn't just do mortal damage to itself, but it actually landed on a house, right? And so this becomes sort of an image for the spiritual journey. You know? uh, it's, it's possible to look like you've got it all together on the outside. It's possible to look strong. You can even be a leader. You, know? you can be a leader and it looks like everything is great on the outside, but the truth is you're hollowed out and there's nothing there. And so spiritual formation is about saying, you know what? Primarily, is there anything in the core? You know? Why? Because the storms of life are going to come. You know? And that's not me being... Uh, foreboding or overly serious, that's Pastor Adam just like leveling with the church here just for a second and telling you the truth. Storms of life are going to come. The winds of life are going to blow against you. And so the question is, is there anything in your soul that is, that is firm enough that you, can, that you can stand up against it? You know, Because how many of you have noticed that just like a tree that falls over, it's not just doing mortal damage to itself, it always lands on something else, doesn't it? Have you ever noticed that when people get like an addiction in their life, it doesn't just ruin them, it always ruins everybody else, you know? And, and a divorce never just, 
never just affects the two people who get divorced. It always whacks the kids out, doesn't it? And, and if you become an alcoholic, it never just, it's never just the dad who's an alcoholic that has the issue. It's like it blows the family apart, right? What is that? Yeah, no core. That's what that is, no core. So we want to say, is there, am I becoming a person who has a core? Okay, in that, in that vein, I want to talk to you about fasting for a few minutes. And I just want to tell you straight up front that I am not an expert, okay? So I'm going to talk to you about a few, a few things this morning. Uh, and I just want you to know straight up front, I'm not an expert. I don't have it all together on this, okay? Uh, I was also looking through all my sermon notes. Over the last 12 years, I have never preached a sermon on fasting. By the way, that's bad, okay? <laughs> that's not good. That's bad. So what that tells me is, is that that's something that we, that's something that we have to like, kind of like pick up here and go, you know what? There's a part of our own formation here that needs supplemented. You know, there's, there's, definitely, there's definitely a hole in our core here at the church. I've never preached a sermon on this. And I am not an expert. I just need you to know that. Um, so that's probably an invitation from God for us to like, just pick up this formational discipline. Uh, here's what I want to do as we pick this up for the first time. I want to tell you what fasting is. Then I want to give you like three uh, general big ideas uh, about fasting. And then I want us to dig into the words of Jesus and pick out the most important thing. Would that be okay? So I'm going to tell you what it is. I want to give you three big ideas. Then we're going to look at the scriptures and we're going to pull the most important thing from the words of Jesus. Okay. What is fasting? Well, fasting is like... It's like intentional abstinence, you know? It's like, it's like it is withholding, you know? And historically in the church and then even in other religious traditions, it's been not eating food, you know? It's like giving up food. But it isn't, and this is the, a really big idea here, it's, fasting is not about giving something up just to give something up. Fasting is about giving something up in order to lay hold of something else. That's the, that's the thing, you know? And historically and traditionally, that's been food, but... You don't have to just limit it to food. Uh, you could have a fast from criticism or harsh judgmental words. You know? How many of you, how many of you realize that, man, it might do me some good to like take a day or two and fast from harsh judgment? You know? Or, or, or what about this? Fasting from complaining. You know what? I'm just going to take 24 hours and no matter what happens, I'm not going to complain. You know? Um, and there's a lot of ways to apprehend that, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But it's the idea of giving something up, but in order to lay hold of something else, right? Yeah. Purposeful abstaining. Um, certain parts of the church take up fasting every year. There's a moment in the church calendar called Lent. So the 40 days leading up to Easter, uh, certain parts of the church, uh, the Catholic church and the Anglican church in particular, and parts of the Episcopal church, they really lean into, into this idea of fasting and, and into Lent. And here's what's interesting. Maybe you didn't know this, but even here at the vineyard, lots of people every single year during Lent, lots of people here practice this sort of fasting and they give something up. And really the idea that sort of surrounds Lent is this idea, that before there's feasting, there should be fasting, right? And, and what's that about? Well, here's what I think it's about. How many of you have ever noticed that sometimes when you let go of something, that when you take it back up, it's all the sweeter, right? And so, like, you know, if, if for 40 days, you know, just as a devotion to the Lord to say, you know what, God, I'm going to give something up to lay hold of you, it's funny how that when you take it back up, the very thing you let go of becomes that much more precious and sweet to you, right? Yeah, 
That's it. I, I will tell you this, uh, that for the last couple of years, uh, my only experience with fasting for the last two years anyway, has been that uh, in July, I've just done a dry July, meaning I just don't drink any wine during July. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, the pastor here drinks? Well, I can tell you one worse than that. We have, we have seven acres of wine grapes and we actually make the stuff, okay? Scandal. Anyway, for the last two years in July, just go 30 days with, with, with no drinking. And it's so funny how like, when you let something go, it makes space for something else. And then when you come back to it, it's, it's that, much, that much more precious to you, you know? And that's some of the ideas that sort of sit inside of the practice of fasting. But I want to give you three really big ideas that fasting is all about. Uh, the first one is this, that fasting makes room. Fasting makes room specifically for God. Uh, here, here's what I mean by that. Human beings, as a species, as a creature, human beings are, we're, well, we're limited, you know? Uh, the truth is, everything in the universe is limited except for God. Only God is infinite, and only God is eternal, and everything else is finite by nature, meaning you have a limited capacity in any direction that you can think of. You have limited intellect, you have limited strength, you have limited creativity, you have limited ability, you have limited talents. That's just what it means to be a person. And part of what fasting does is, I believe, two things. Number one, it acknowledges our own limitations, right? So it causes people to wake up to the fact that we are actually limited. But inside of that awakening to our own limitations, in order to give up something, in the giving up, all of a sudden, we have more room in our very limited life, you know? Let me put it this way. How many of you know that you can become so busy doing good and right things that you don't have room for more foundational and even better things? Like for instance, you could spend you could spend your time, you could spend your time paying the bills and have no room for God. Right? And and here's the thing, that's not me trying to be like, everyone is bad. That's just like an acknowledgement of like what happens, right? Like you could just you could you could take the kids to soccer and have no connection to God anymore. Uh, you, could, you could get so bogged down with school and study that the more primary and more foundational things could just sort of evaporate. What does fasting do? It makes room. It just acknowledges, oh my goodness, I'm a limited being, I've only got so much, and if I give up something here, the place where I gave something up, there's a little hole there now, and now I can redirect that towards God. And so, you know, a lot of times here's what people do. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll fast a meal or two, or maybe they'll do something crazy and like fast an entire day and not eat at all for 24 hours. And in those spots where they normally would have done some meal prep or, or eaten or washed the dishes, maybe spend 30 minutes praying and connecting to God again. You know? and, and some of us are thinking, well, I don't think I can pray 30 minutes. Great, I rarely do either. Pray for five minutes and sit with God for 25 minutes. You know, just make a little hole, make a little space in your life somewhere to connect with God one more time. So fasting makes room. Uh, second thing, big idea here, fasting is Sabbath. Sabbath. Uh, this idea of Sabbath is like, it's all over the Bible. In fact, it's at the very beginning and it just keeps running all the way through. And here's what Sabbath is. God created the heavens and the earth, and in six days he did all of this work. And then on the seventh day in Genesis, it says, well, God rested from his work, right? 
And we sort of get the idea that, that when God took a Sabbath or when God rested, he was like worn out, except God doesn't get tired. And so you have to ask yourself, well, what was the point of that? I love what N.T. Wright, the theologian, says about that. It wasn't that God was worn out. It was that God rested from his work so that he could enter into all that he has created and fully enjoy it. So Sabbath is not about like not doing anything. Sabbath is about like reconnecting with creation in a new way that you might enjoy it deeper. And so this rhythm is established from Genesis and it just keeps bouncing all the way through scriptures. It's like six on and one off, right? Not only is it there, but we also see in the Old Testament that the Lord told his special people, he said, you know what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to farm all the time, right? You guys are an agrarian society, I want you to farm. But I want you to farm for six years, but on the seventh year, you need to, you need to let the fields lay fallow, meaning don't touch them. Why? Because in God's economy, even the land needs to get a rest. And can I tell you something? Uh, Agricultural scientists have even looked at this. Like, if you do not let your fields lie fallow, the, the nutrient levels in those fields will go down and the yields will go down, right? It's just, it's in the universe. You need some time on and then you need some time off. Well, then it goes even one level bigger. Uh, every 50 years, God's people were supposed to do this thing called the year of Jubilee. Anybody ever heard of that in the Bible? Yeah. Every 50 years, all the debts get canceled. So if you had a ton of debt... On the 50th year, your debt goes to zero, right? Everybody in here is like, this is amazing. <laughs> not, only, not only that, but every 50 years, not only were the, the debts canceled, but um, ancestral lands went back to the previous owners. So everybody who had like bought, sold, trade, and whatever, you know, taken their daddy's land and given half of it away and bought all this, after 50 years, there was just a control-alt-delete hit and everything went back to its ancestral owners. Isn't that amazing? Like, so if, if you had a foolish father, chances are, within your lifetime, all of your dad's dumb decisions were going to be undone and you were going to come back into your inheritance. It's, an, it's, a, it's literally an amazing idea. A few years ago, uh, Bono created some waves because he went to the most powerful nations on earth and he said to the United States and the other economic leaders in the world, and he said, you know what we ought to do? He said, all of the rich nations of the earth should forgive all the debts of the poor nations of the earth, especially those in sub-Saharan Africa. We should just write those debts off. And everybody thought that Bono was the stupidest guy ever. And some people were like, yeah, that's great. And most people thought he was stupid and it was outrageous. But what he was really doing is he was, he was, he was appealing to Jubilee. That's what he was appealing to, right? By the way, Bono's deeply Christian, you know? And so he was just living out of that. I, I'm only saying this because the Bible has shown this thing over and over again. Uh, you need time on, and then you got to have time off. Like, on and then off. Like, you need to work, you need to work hard. In fact, you need to work six times more than you rest, right? You need, you need to bust it. But there has to be time off, not just, to, not just to have time off, but to enter in and enjoy the thing. And it occurred to me this week that fasting is a kind of Sabbath. It's like biological Sabbath. Like, your body is always working, and there's something about giving your body some rest from even the work of eating and digestion that could possibly open up a door for Sabbath in your life that you might enjoy something else. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, I've tried this before, and when I gave up eating, I got angry. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's right. That's how this works, right? And you're like, well, where's the enjoyment in that? 
Here's the question. Here's the question. Um, what if you could become the sort of person who could have the, the winds of hanger blow against you? And you could still be reasonably enjoyable to be around. Or, what if the winds of hanger blew against you and you could still find room in your heart to enjoy God? Right? Yeah, I think that's actually it. Uh, what, if, what, if, um, what if in those moments when you were severely not enjoying your life, what if you could, over time and with a little practice, develop the capacity to move past that and then find enjoyment in another area? What if, what if fasting was like uh, initiation into the pleasure that's underneath the difficulty? You know, What if fasting were a kind of prayer itself? What if, what if experiencing hunger pain and a mild headache what if you could hold that before God and say, you know what, this is my prayer to you, and I'm going to look for the enjoyment and the pleasure that sits somewhere outside of the typical, uh, banal, uh, base human experiences of joy and pleasure that come from eating and drinking. I, I think this might be some of it, right? What if there was another kind of enjoyment that was actually on offer? Okay, that's number two. Number three, big idea. Uh, Fasting has to do with strengthening your yeses and nos. Uh, the, the most powerful words in the English language are yes and no. Aren't they? Aren't they the most difficult? Uh, can I tell you, half of this room, I'm just gross generalization time. <clears throat> That's what preaching is. Preaching is just gross generalizations that are somehow kind of true sometimes. Okay, gross generalization time. Uh, half of the people in here are really good at yes, and half of the people in here are really good at no. And in order to like be an adult and be someone who other people want to be around and enjoy, you're going to have to learn both yes and no. You know, but but fasting has this way of strengthening your yes, yeses and nos, uh, beginning to empower those words in the way that they were meant to be empowered. Okay, let me ask it to you this way. Don't put your hand up. Okay. Uh, how many people in the room have issues in your life that you struggle to control? Yeah, no one put their hand up. That's good. Don't. Just, just do this with me. Hmm. Uh, how many people in here have sins, uh, sin issues that just will not go away? Like very specific ones. You know what it is. Like you, you carry it around with you. It makes you crazy. Uh, how many of you have developed habits that seem impossible to break? Well, here's one of the ways to deal with those issues. Uh, and you deal with it indirectly. Uh, fasting can be a way to deal with those issues in a very unique and indirect way. Because in fasting, we're drawing the lines of our yeses and nos in a different place. Uh, maybe we have an addiction. Or maybe we have a negative thought pattern. See, practicing a fast can be a great way to reset our ability to make choices by making a choice about something else like food. It's, you know, I don't know about you guys. I got some things in my life I wish were different. I have some issues that don't want to go away. And here's the thing about fasting. You can draw, you can draw the power of your yes and no 
that is deeply connected to the issues that you have in your life. And sometimes if you'll take the issue, take it out of the center and put food there and you can practice here, it's a really great place to practice. Not only that, it has this added benefit. How many of you know that if you, let's say you go, you know what, I'm going to do just a a water-only fast for 24 hours to make space for God, right? And then 18 hours into it, you go bananas and you you eat a sun chip. I was just thinking about it this week. Those are real. I love those little guys. <laughs> Heather hates them, but I love them. Uh, they leave a film in your mouth. I love it. That, 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 that oily coating, love it. Some of you are like, that's gross. I love it. But let's just say this happens. Let's say you go, you know what? God, I love you, and I'm going to try to be your disciple, and I want to be someone who's 95 and has actually got the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And I'm going to fast. I'm only going to drink water so I can make space for you. And I'm going to spend a few extra minutes praying where I would have been eating. And 18 hours into it, you go absolutely bananas and you eat a sun chip. Let's say that happens, right? Well, uh, number one, you made it 18 hours. Right? I mean, you empowered your yes and no for 18 hours in a profound way. Secondly, secondly, uh, your failure on this day was about the sun chip and not your addiction. And here's what the Bible says. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's actual good news, you know? It's like, it's like, how many of you know that nobody's going to hell for the sonship? I just want to tell you guys, like, you know what? There, no one's going to, I, just, I can concretely say this. No one is going to hell for eating the sonship. It's not going to happen. That's a, that's a profound thing. So it just draws the, it draws the battlefield in your life in another area. It's kind of like this. Um, how many of you understand that you'll never become less angry by trying to be less angry? It will not work. Here's what will happen. You'll become frustrated, which will make you more angry. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't work like that. It's like this is where we need the wisdom of the, of the desert fathers and the mystics, those those Christians who wrote in years like 200, 300, and 400, those guys knew a thing or two. Like, you want to deal with anger? You don't deal with anger. You have to come in the side door. What do you do? You fall in love with God more. That's what you do. That's how this thing works. Same thing. You know, you want to deal with some addiction stuff? Hey, maybe you need to deal with the addiction stuff. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying there are some things in Jesus that you can do. And so sometimes fasting just draws the battle out bottle line somewhere else and helps you empower your yes and no in a brand new way. And at the end of the day, if all you ate was a sun chip, nobody's going to hell. It's not bad. It's pretty good. Okay. Now I want to talk to you about the secret sauce and I just want to dig into the most important thing. And this is from the words of Jesus. Let's put this up. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount stuff. Two verses. Jesus says, when you fast, and isn't that the... I read that this week, and it's not if you fast, it's when you fast. Dang it. <laughs> Look, and it's in here twice. I mean, you know, I, I re- it's in here twice. It's, it's like, gosh, Jesus. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Don't wear a frowny face, you know, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, how many of you know that every good dish has a secret sauce, right? Yeah. What is the secret sauce here? 
What is the main thing that Jesus is talking about here? Hiddenness, right? In fact, this little, this little riff from Jesus on fasting, it comes in a section, a much larger section. And in this section, Jesus talks about prayer, he talks about giving, he talks about forgiveness, and he talks about fasting. And in each section, Jesus says, do it in secret. Isn't that interesting? This is the most important part. Here's what I want to do this morning. Why is this the most important part? Why would Jesus tell his disciples, hey, if you want to pray, if you want to give, or if you want to fast, that's great. You should do it in secret. Why would he say that? I'm looking around the room. There's no crazy people here, so we can, we can do interaction time, okay? <laughs> Why do you think Jesus would say, do it in secret? Anybody? From, anyone, anyone from the right section over here? Okay, right here. Right? How many, of you, how many of you think that Keisha's right? Did you hear that? So you're just not doing it for other people's attention. Yeah. I think Keisha, I think you're right. So everybody, let's give Keisha a high five. Okay. Anybody have anything they want to add to that? I think you got it. You got it. Gold star. Okay, so here's what Jesus is showing us, right? In this picture, and then in the much larger section where he talks about giving and forgiveness and prayer and fasting, every time he says do it in secret, why? Well, Keisha's right. Because the most deadly thing in the human heart, the most deadly thing in the human heart, is that, I don't even understand it, but there's something about us. We're wired in this very strange direction that we will take things that are good for us and we have a tendency to want to do them and put them on a platform so that other people see it and think that we're good, right? This is the mortal danger that sits inside of something great. So it's crazy. Like God says, you know what? You should pray and you should give and you should fast. These are all really good. They build the core. They help who you are. They'll strengthen you for the winds of life. And then the mortal danger is, is that you and I could take those, build a platform and do it as a, as a stage actor so that other people would think that we're something that maybe we are or maybe we're not. Mm. Hiddenness. Here's the other thing I've noticed about hiddenness. In a world where very little is hidden. The other thing I've noticed is this. Uh, everybody here has a hidden life. Did you know that everyone in the room has a hidden life? Everybody has a secret life. It's part of what it means to be a person. You have a secret life. Um, my wife knows me better than anyone in the world. And there's still parts of me that she doesn't know. Why? Because I'm the only one who's in here. I think. <clears throat> Most days, that's the way it is. Right? So everybody has this hidden life. But here's what I've noticed. I've noticed, especially in the context of like Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6 stuff, I've noticed that in modern-day Christian circles, I've noticed that when we give and when we pray and when we fast, we want to post it on Instagram. And then all the stuff that we don't want anyone to know, that's the very stuff that God says you should tell someone about. It's the exact opposite, right? So like all of our sin issues, we keep them cloaked, right? And then the first time that we give five dollars to a homeless person we take a picture of them holding our five dollar bill and put it on instagram don't we and you laugh because it's true like literally 
I have seen this over and over and over again, and we do the exact opposite of what Jesus says. And then we wonder, like, why are we so far from like, being a person who's like the Son of God, right? And so we have a secret life. So I just want to tell you, you have a secret life, but is it, is it built the right way, you know? And what is, what is a kingdom secret life like? Well, here's what a kingdom secret life feels like. Uh, a kingdom secret life gives fasts and prays in hiding, and then in sin, tell somebody else about it. The Bible says this about sin. The Bible says two very strange things. It says, if you confess your sins to God, you get forgiven. But if you confess your sins to a brother, you'll get healed. Oof. Oofta. That's a, that, I, that blows my brain, right? That blows my brain, right? So some of us in here are carrying around this hidden life. And the gospel to you this morning is, you should tell someone. Don't, not, tell, not everyone. And, and please, Lord, not on social media. Please, you know, please. But you should tell someone. There should be, there should be openness there, right? And then on our good works and in our prayer and in our fasting and in our giving and in our forgiving, oh, let's just keep that one close. Why? It's just reorienting the secret life. And here's the thing about hiddenness, as Jesus talks about it. Uh, hiddenness is really putting its finger on um, where do we think real reward comes from? That's the issue of hiddenness. If we could fast and keep it hidden, which is the most important thing, if we could fast and keep it hidden, what it means is, is that we're drilling down somewhere in our heart and we're building a new kind of faith response, a new kind of faith muscle. And it's the faith that says, if only God knows this, I'll get a reward. It's the faith that says, I actually believe my Father sees and will reward me. You know, uh, The desire to build things and put them on stages really means I don't believe my Father sees and I don't believe he rewards. That's the issue. That's why people take pictures of themselves on Instagram doing good works. Because they think the reward comes from other people. And the truth is, the reward comes from God. Right? All right, so what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Okay, here's what we do. Uh, pick a day. Soon. Pick a day real soon. Not Thursday. <laughs> Don't be that guy. <laughs> Some of you are like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my holy pants on Thursday morning. And I'm going to fast at Thanksgiving. <laughs> Nobody likes that guy. Okay? Leave the holy pants in the closet, okay? Just put on your regular football watching Thanksgiving pants, okay? Kill it all day Thursday long. Someday after Thursday, soon. Maybe before the end of the year. Pick a day. And go, you know what? I'm going to set aside some part of my life. I'm going to give something up to lay hold of something else. Right? And here's the other thing I would tell you. Start small. Don't go, I'm going to do a water fast for 40 days. You can't. I have known people who did it, okay? Don't start there. Start really small. Start by giving up one meal. One meal. Make it breakfast, Right? Do the easiest thing possible. Start with the small. Or, or maybe this. Maybe you don't want to 
uh, give up a meal. Maybe, maybe that thing we were talking about earlier. Uh, what, if we, what if we did a fast from harsh, critical words? First and second service, when I mentioned that in the service, you could hear the room go, ooh, right? <laughs> yeah, we feel that, don't we? I, I want to read you something this morning. Remember I told you we were walking through this book? I want everybody to buy this, Spiritual Classics. It'll help you for the next couple, three months. I've read it like seven times. I want to read you uh, something from the section on fasting. This is from Catherine Marshall. A few paragraphs here. This is pretty good. Uh, because she, she's the one where I got this idea of fasting from harsh and critical words. So she did that, and here's what she writes. She says, um, For the first half of the day, I simply felt a void, almost as if I'd been wiped out as a person. What is she doing? She's just not being critical, right? It's hysterical, right? This was especially true at lunch with my husband, Lynn, and my mother, and my son, Jeff, and my, and my, uh, uh, my secretary who was present. Several topics came up, school prayer, abortion, the ERA amendment, about which I had definite opinions. I listened to others, and I kept silent. Barbed comments on the tip of my tongue about certain world leaders were suppressed, In our talkative family, no one seemed to notice. Bemused, I noticed that my comments were not missed. The federal government, the judicial system, the institutional church apparently could get along fine without my penetrating observations. But still, I didn't see what this fast on criticism was accomplishing until mid-afternoon. For several years, I've been praying for one talented young man whose life had gotten sidetracked. Perhaps my prayers for him had been too negative. That afternoon, a specific positive vision for his life was dropped into my mind with God's unmistakable hallmark on it, joy. Ideas began to flow in a way that I had not experienced in many years. Now it was apparent what the Lord had wanted me to see. My critical nature had not corrected a single one of the multitudinous things I found fault with. What it had done was to stifle my own creativity in prayer and relationships, and perhaps even in writing, ideas that he wanted to give me. Last Sunday night in Bible study group, I told of my day's fast experiment. The response was startling. Many admitted criticalness was the chief problem in their offices, in their marriage, or with their teenage children. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, I love that. She realized that by giving up criticalness while she's praying for someone, the the room that giving that up created was room for joy, and a positive vision for the young man's life. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. So what do you do? Pick a day, start small, give up a meal. Maybe give up criticism. huh? Or, or maybe, maybe fast from social media. And, and, and you don't even have to post on social media that you're, past, that you're fasting from social media. That's all. I'm always like, what? 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 I think that's great. Um, or you could do this. You could do a Daniel fast. Does anybody in here know what a Daniel fast is? Bible scholar, Keisha. Keisha knows, y'all. Keisha knows everything. Okay, Bible scholars. Uh, this, is what, this is what a Daniel fast is. Maybe you remember in the Old Testament, uh, Daniel and his buddies, they were in Babylon, and they were smart and good-looking, so they got brought before the king, and the king was like, hey, you can eat from my table, and Daniel's like, no, I don't want to eat from your table. We're only going to drink water and eat vegetables, Right? And then after a certain period of time, uh, the king's like servant guy comes back and goes, man, Daniel and his friends look better than everyone else, and they've just been eating vegetables and drinking water. Yeah, 
Maybe you go 24 hours and you know what? I'm just going to Daniel fast. I'm going to drink water and I'm going to eat crunchy vegetables. Could you do that? That's a great way to start. And here's the thing. If you were to do a Daniel fast, you could even, you could even just tell God, like, uh, drinking water and eating the vegetables is going to be a prayer. Here's why. Because in Daniel, I believe eating vegetables and drinking water, uh, I think that's about taking in things that are clean and things that are alive, right? Water is clean. Vegetables are alive. So I think there was, a, I think there was this like metaphoric, prophetic, prayer-like sense in which they did this. And so you could just all day long go, you know what, God? Every time I drink water, it's going to be a prayer that you would make me clean. And every single time that I eat a vegetable, it's going to be my prayer that you would make me alive. Could you do that? Yeah. Or maybe you could have a fast from complaining. You know what? I'm going to take 24 hours, and no matter what happens, I'm not going to complain. Of course, you know what will happen, right? Kids are going to be bonkers. And everyone at work is going to be crabby. So there's going to be crabby patties everywhere. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Okay, hey. Um, all right. Good, good, good. All right, why don't we do this? Why don't you stand up this morning? And if you're on the ministry team, come on to the front. I'm going to pray. Uh, and maybe you want to receive some prayer afterwards. Maybe you're sick in your body. Or maybe you just, you know, you just realize, oh, I need to lean into this and I need somebody to stand with me. We want to do that. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.